Hello, hello. Hello, everyone. And welcome to the New York Mystery Machine. Camera Hall, but for ghosts. But for the ghosts. <laughs> welcome, welcome. We're so excited to be with you all with another all-new episode of the show. We're hoping that last week you enjoyed our uh, our fun little, what was a Patreon-exclusive episode um, that we kind of sent out to the general masses. We've gotten some feedback on it because it's a crazy, such a crazy episode. It's a weird episode. In fact, one of our... One of our listeners and patrons Christian Lee Branch mm-hmm. mentioned that the church that's mentioned in that episode he knows and works at, he has worked at that church. Oh. He goes, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's St. Agnes in down in Carroll Gardens. So, going to get more information as much as I can Christian, on that. So, you've got some homework to do. Yeah, so hopefully for the recap episode at the end of the season we can get some more, see if we can find some more dirt on this situation. Yes. But Real excited and, you know, if you really enjoyed last week's episode, we really invite you to, to join our Patreon. You get one of these every month and um, it, it's, you know, usually between 15, 30 minutes of an episode and it's really exciting and something that we don't get to share with the, with the group and uh, so you do that by joining our Patreon. That's patreon.com slash NYMysteryMachine. In addition to that, we also are really happy for all of you who are joining us on the TikTok. It's been a really fun journey on TikTok. I can't believe we have a TikTok. Oh my God. It's so, it's, it's not, it's, it's hard to make the TikToks, you guys. So I appreciate when you, when you like them and when you look at them, we get about a thousand views on these TikToks, Wild. which is really crazy. But and if you're not following us on TikTok, it's at anyway, Mystery Machine on TikTok. And basically, what we've been doing is just kind of going to mostly places that we've covered on the show and kind of giving a quick synopsis with some visuals and whatnot. And uh, and sometimes uh, when there's places that we haven't covered um, because they're really too short, we'll cover those too. So, for example, I covered McCarran Park Pool, mm. um, which is really would probably only be about a five minute episode <laughs> if I really put it all together. And so um, it was really great to kind of cover it in about a minute. They're just about a minute long. And uh, so join us on that, on that, that situation. And we have one more special announcement to make before one we get into it, because this is, we're going to get into a whole lot of stuff today. And we're going to talk in a brief moment about that. But we wanted to, to let you know that as of today, Monday, March 6th, you can go online and get your very own New York Mystery Machine t-shirt. <laughs> We've been promising merch for a minute, and uh, we finally have some T-shirts. Um, the T-shirts, to get those, you head on over to belowthecollar.com slash NYMysteryMachine. That's belowthecollar.com slash NYMysteryMachine. Or if you go on to our Instagram, um, our link, the link is in there as well, and our socials, we have that. Um, I have purchased many T-shirts from many different companies that are the on-demand printing, and this is the best quality T-shirt you will find for on-demand printing. Um, if if you're if there's any wrestling fans out there, this is the same company as the Pro Wrestling Tees Company, and and their their the quality of their merchandise is just so gosh darn good. And so um, we were really specific about where we wanted to get our T-shirts made because I want to be able to offer people t-shirts that are long lasting that won't just kind of like fade out in the year and these are the ones so below the collar.com such ny mystery machine we currently have three designs uh we have a logo tee which is just our little logo in the left uh left corner that's a little navy blue uh then we have a fun little list tee it's ghosts and aliens and murders and monsters at new york 
Um, so one of those. And then my favorite one, hopefully the best-selling one, um, the uh, our d- designer of our um, logo, Nakamia, act extra cooler on the socials, um, he readjusted our uh, artwork and was able to kind of like redraw that TED picture. And so there's a TED t-shirt and it's just a little the little uh, cartoon picture of, of TED's face. Mm. And so we invite you to head on over to belowthecollar.com slash NYMysteryMachine and uh, pick up a shirt, support the show. We're so excited. We don't make a ton of money from it. We make a few dollars, but it's not really about us making money. We just kind of like want to see you guys yeah. out in the wild. And so, t-shirts uh, in the wild. Yeah, send us pictures of you wearing t-shirts in the wild. <laughs> yeah. So that is that. We're we're so excited to get into today. Uh, we've been amping up this this episode for a while, and that's because this is the first time we're ever doing a three part series on the New York Mystery Machine. We've done a, bo- a lot of two parters, um, but this time we're doing a three part series. Um, and and we're covering the infamous Nexium uh, cult, uh, which has been very famed from the HBO documentary The Vow, and um, it's we're really really excited to get into it. So this week, Christina is taking the helm of the first half of the episode. Next week, I'm covering all of the the trial and litigation stuff, and then uh, in two weeks' time, we have a really special guest. We don't want to announce it just yet, um, but we have surprise. we have a really amazing special surprise guest joining us on the show you don't want to miss it you don't want to miss it so be sure to listen to all three episodes and um christina let's just get on into it let's get into it where are um, we we're in new york <laughs> and, and where specifically are we uh we will be spending a lot of time in and around clifton park uh which is near albany new york there it is. um and as we get into this and this is sort of a little disclaimer for the series if you're not familiar with nexium uh we're gonna be talking about cult be, you know, cult tactics, um, as well as discussions of emotional abuse, sexual abuse, and physical abuse, um, as well as highly manipulative people and painful topics. So take care of yourself. Um, and if this isn't an episode or a set of episodes you can listen to, we understand. Yeah, we and totally just want get it. you to take care of yourself. Um, so with that, we're going to return to the basics for any folks who need a refresher or for whom this is their first experience discussing a cult with us. Adam, how would you define a cult? Uh, I think a cult is an organization um, whose premise is uh, is described one way and yet whose real design is to benefit one or more people at the top of that, um, often using different ways of uh, manipulation in order to to feed their gains. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and that, that plays into a big part of the definition um, that Robert J. Lifton, who's a psychiatrist and former Harvard medical professor, instructor, person. Um, <laughs> you know those medical <laughs> professional instructor persons. You know, those. Uh, he broke down three key characteristics of a cult. So first, there's usually a charismatic leader who increasingly becomes the object of uh, worship or attention, especially as original principles that once kept the group cohesive break down or lose their power. And this is a living person, one who who ends up being the most important def- defining element of the group um, and from which the power and authority within the group comes. Second, there's a process of re-education, which is a way of saying indoctrination or brainwashing. You might hear thought reform as well. Basically, it's reprogramming, right, to think a certain way. And finally, there's uh, exploitation, whether that's economic, sexual, or another form. And that's usually done by, or you're done to the group members themselves, either directly by one of the elite members or one of the um, the leaders in her circle. Um, so some other things to look out for, there's no room for questioning, absolute authoritarianism without real accountability, no meaningful financial disclosure, unreasonable fear of the outside world or those outside the community, 
um, people don't end up leaving for quote unquote legitimate reasons, according to the group, and they end up being branded as evil or misguided. So the classic example is when Scientology labels people as suppressive personalities. Um, Ex-members often have similar stories of, of abuse and similar problems. Um, there are reports to that effect. And um, the group is always right, right? You can never come to know the truth outside of the group. Those are sort of the defining features. Um, something we'll see today that was also common to the Odyssey study group, for those of us, for those of us, for those of you who were uh, listening when we covered that, um, is the idea of depriving yourself of something for the good of the group, right? So lack of sleep to indicate more of your, or rather to dedicate more of your uh, waking hours in a day to the group's projects. Um, and it's important to remember, you know, there's a lot of folks who would say that, oh, I would never get sucked into a cult. But cults attract smart, beautiful, highly educated, well-adjusted uh, people who are going through a tough time or looking for something in their life. And that benefits the cult, right? Because people who um, are respected or have wonderful careers or, you know, are these lovely people who are smart and, and all of those things, you know, end an air of legitimacy to the cult once they get, you know, roped in. Sure. So as Adam said, our cult today is Nexium, which began in the late 1990s. And um, we're going to start by talking about the, the quote unquote charismatic leader, right? That first part of that definition, who is Keith Ranieri. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Spoiler alert. It's so hard to we've we've Christian and I have spent so much time uh, researching this episode, and I just at this point in the game, the name and the sight and the sound of him just yeah. God, it, it gets under my skin. Yeah. It's a uh, spoiler alert. He's the devil. Um. So Keith Ranieri is the founder of Nexium, um, but Nexium was not his first foray into cons and fraud. So Ranieri was born in 1960 in Brooklyn and moved during childhood to suffer New York. He graduated from the Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, not far from the infamous Hazel Drew murder. Um, he claimed that he graduated with multiple degrees and has one of the highest IQs in the world, but uh, his transcripts would eventually show otherwise. 2.26 GPA, meaning he failed or just skated by the upper level math and science classes he claims to have been brilliant at. Ranieri was interested in MLMs, so multi-level marketing companies, very early on, and that's how he started out. So he spent time with Amway, an MLM for health and beauty products, before starting his own, Consumer Byline, which was founded in 1990. And it was a chain distribution scheme. And the ads for these are wild, folks. It's it's worth seeing. They are, they are truly something. Um, so the premise was that it was going to help people get discounts on appliances and groceries. But like MLMs, you had to recruit more people. And within three years, it came under investigation and was eventually shut down by the New York Attorney General in 1996 for being a pyramid scheme. He tried to rinse and repeat with the National Health Network. Um, that too failed in 1999. And soon after, he moved on to founding Nexium, rebranding himself as a brilliant philosopher who had developed unique technology, quote unquote, to help the world. So his bio on the website, and I should say that um, I found the Nexium website. It's since been taken down. Um, there's like a record. Someone like someone has a record of yeah, it so online, but their actual website isn't operating. Isn't, yeah, anymore. it's not operating. But if you know the Internet Archive or the Wayback Machine, nothing we've ever done. Those live journal accounts you have out there, those Zangas, those are those have been screenshot. No, that's not going anywhere. Um, so according to the bio on the website, quote, Keith Ranieri holds many titles to his name, scientist, mathematician, philosopher, entrepreneur, educator, inventor, and author. But perhaps the most poignant among them is that of humanitarian. Um, 
and Keith would become would, would come to be called by Nexium members Vanguard. The other chief player to know is Nancy Salzman, who was referred to as Prefect. Um, she was recruited early on by Keith to help refine and promote and distribute and disseminate the teachings of ESP. And we're going to get into that. So when you look up Nexium, um, and if you're not familiar, Nexium is spelled N-X-I-V-M, uh, here's how that website describes its mission. Nexium is a community guided by humanitarian principles that seek to empower people and answer important questions about what it means to be human. The Nexium philosophy is expressed through a series of companies and initiatives, all of which were designed to broaden the way we currently think about problems and to help create solutions for a kinder, more sustainable, ethical world. With unique tools that facilitate success both internally and externally, Nexium helps people realize the potential that exists within them. And then the website had the audacity to quote Helen Keller. Alone we can do so little, together we can do so much. So it's essentially marketed as a self-help program, right? One designed to help you investigate issues around gender and relationship and ethics. Um, and as it says, it's basically the parent company for a bunch of smaller companies that had more focused enterprises. Uh, but all of them are based around core modules that you can take. So you have things like Jeunesse, which is a company that provided support to empower women on their journeys. And the Society of Protectors, or SOP, a group of men to, a group for men to help build character and be honorable. And the Rainbow Cultural Garden, a school for children where the kids could learn multiple languages at a very early age. And there's also ones for fitness and arts and performance and public speaking. And it's all sort of centered around upstate New York, focused around Albany, like we said. But it also starts to have these other centers popping up, right? In Seattle, New York City, London, Mexico, Vancouver, it really becomes international in that way. Um, and throughout, there are accusations made against Nexium. The Nexium sort of finds really uh, impressive ways to parry. Um, so perhaps the most bold way they did this was to try to get the Dalai Lama to endorse Keith. So the Dalai Lama was warned away from this initially by people who told him that Keith was abusing power and was a cult leader. But in the end, an audience was granted with the Dalai Lama, um, who was sort of duped into it. And an air of legitimacy was created for the group by that that audience. Um, so we're going to focus a lot on um, executive success programs, or ESP. Um, and you'll hear that the adherents to this are called espions. Um, so ESP seems, in a lot of ways, like the starter pack for the company, right? It's billed as a way of bringing more joy into your life. And a key part of ESP is the patented technology invented by Keith Raniere known as Rational Inquiry. So again, from the now-defunct ESP website, Rational Inquiry is, quote, based on the belief that the more consistent an individual's beliefs and behavior patterns are, the more successful the person will be, and the greater his or her capacity for joy. Um, so the, there are certain foundation courses and intensives to really deepen your understanding and your own commitment to the path. So the thinking goes something like this. We have all of these multiple choices in front of us at all times, ways of fulfilling our dreams and being happy, and we just don't have the ability to always see these possibilities because of our quote-unquote limiting beliefs or disintegrations. So one example that you're given um, in the HBO documentary series, The Vow, is saying something like, well, 
I'll never get to the gym before work because I'm just not a morning person, right? The statement, I'm just not a morning person is the limiting belief. The goal is to basically rewire your brain to overcome these disintegrations in order to become unified. And being unified is to be integrated, is to be joyful, is to be more successful, all those things. And and on the outside, sounds really positive. Sounds great so far, right? You know, sounds like a really a solid situation. If I could overcome not being a morning person, you know, I don't know. I might get a lot more stuff done. Absolutely. So as part of the process, you use exploration of meaning, or EM, to address phobias and limiting beliefs. So in this, you are often asked by a practitioner to bring up an associated memory with one of your phobias or limiting beliefs and find behavior patterns in your past experiences so that you can choose to react differently in similar circumstances in the future, which honestly in the right hands is a part of a lot of legitimate therapies, right? Um, But one of the differences is that this technique was used by ESP in front of other people. So rather than talking about complicated memories and insecurities in the confidential care of a therapist, um, you know, you're doing this in front of a, a room packed with people. And when the student was deemed to have had a breakthrough, the crowd cheers them on. So essentially, vulnerability becomes linked to praise. And so members share more and more vulnerable information, more private information about their life and psyches. Um, The other key difference is that in ESP, trauma responses, emotional responses, and other psychological reactions to situations are turned back on the person, right? Presented essentially as the person's own personal defect or fault. And this would especially happen when the person questioned to practice the group. So the process trains the participant to deny emotional responses, which allows them to be gaslit, right? So why are you being so combative? What is it What is it about, you know, I can't even do the questions right. But, you know, it's sort of like, as opposed to saying, oh, yeah, you're right. The group is doing something really fucked up. It becomes, well, why are you, why do you feel the need to, you know, seek out negativity. Yeah, it feels like it always puts the onus on on you, the person. Like if mm-hmm. something is wrong, and and, and we're gonna learn. A, a, a There's a lot s- wrong. Certainly more about this within Christina's episode, and certainly some more next week in my episode. But um, certainly, it's it's a really belief that they're like that wrong isn't really done in the world. Mm-hmm. It's how we perceive wrong, and if we're perceiving it to be wrong, it's probably us and not right. the thing. Right, it's our problem, basically. Because everything in the world is neutral. It's us who color things negatively or not. Exactly. So as you achieve these breakthroughs or different goals, um, both personally and in service to the Nexium community, you move up the quote-unquote stripe path. And the path, the stripe path is a term used for the color-coded sash system used by the group. And you can kind of think of this as something akin to OT levels within Scientology. Um, But of course, that's if you're us on the outside looking in, right? When you're on the inside practicing, it's marketed as just a way of honoring you for your achievements and in some way indicating visually to others who the role models in the room might be. So another practice um, within ESP was emotional stretching exercises, which involved a pseudo meditation technique, one in which you will yourself to experience the most joy you've ever felt, followed immediately by the most pain and then the most joy. And you kind of switch back and forth, which again, effectively desensitizes you to some of your most base gut feelings. Um, 
And and another core tenet is this idea of being at cause and the idea that there is no ultimate victim. So that's that's essentially what you were just saying too, Adam, right? So being at cause means that you are always in control of what happens to you and how you respond. And anything that you experience emotionally has to do with how you reacted to a situation and how you handled a situation or in some way did something. And so anything negative that happens to you and that you experience, you are yourself in some way the cause of. And that's related to the idea of there being no ultimate victim. If you are really at cause for everything, then you are not a victim. You can simply choose not to be a victim. You can choose to be happy and make the situation better. Um, there was even a thought experiment in one of the units that essentially played with the idea that if there is no ultimate victim, then accusations of abuse are hollow and that there's almost no such thing as abuse because we are all at cause for what happens to us. So stop choosing to play the victim. Um and then there's a lot of stuff around gender, um, which results in the creation of those programs like Jeunesse for Women and Society Protectors or SOP for Men. Um, Keith eventually would say things like women are indulgent and overprotected and unreliable because society treats women like little princesses with no consequences for their actions and no follow through. And this, Keith said, drives men insane. It wears on them. It causes cognitive dissonance. You know, why are men and little boys not allowed to be self-indulgent and react the same way women and little girls do? And if unchecked, he said, could lead to men actually hating women for their overprotected, unreliable, essentially bratty behavior. Um, and that men just need to get in touch with their emotions and women need to toughen up. And now there were a lot of ways you could toughen up, right? One way was to perform a penance when you indulge in whatever, indulge in arrogance or negativity. Then you might have to do something to commit yourself again. I'm saying all of this in quotes, folks, to quote unquote, commit yourself again to your goals. So skipping a meal or standing perfectly still for 30 minutes or planking. Now, some people, the teachings go, will be negative about everything. They'll say all of this is bullshit and that there needs to be changed, etc. And these are suppressives, right? They cannot see anything good in the world and seek to miserate everyone else. These people will never see that they are really the ones at cause and will seek to destroy everyone, everything Nexium is working towards. So you can see how this set of beliefs and teachings gets scaffolded into your psyche over a really long period of time under the guise of support and love. And it results in you're no longer recognizing the validity of your emotions, your gut feelings, your own instincts. You get distanced from people who question leadership and training and you internalize everything bad you feel and bad that happens to you as somehow being your own doing. And if you want to grow as a person, you need to cowboy up and do the work and commit to the goals you've promised to work towards. After all, it's for your own good, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and in between all this, there are some times that people feel we're generally fun, right? There are parties and V-Week, which is like a week-long camp to celebrate Keith and his birthday. And also, and within all this, the partying though too, like if you are someone who watched The, the Vow or know anything about it, Famously, they have like their like midnight volleyball games, mm -hmm. which is quote unquote optional. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, it you know, uh, uh, so much of this too, you know, as, as Christina brings us through it, is a lot of this is totally optional. This is totally optional. This is everything right. is so optional. This is all about you being optional, and yet always with this guise of like, but you should do this if you want to like continue your progress. Right. If you want to move up the straight path, basically you got to be a volleyball, which starts at like midnight and goes until like all hours of the morning. Yeah, I remember when I was when I first watched. And it's interesting. We, we recommend you know watching The Vow if, if if you'd like to if that's something you want to watch. But on that first episode of The Vow, it's so fascinating because. Um, about the first 10 minutes of what Christina was talking about in terms of just 
creating a better self of you and, and getting goals, become a morning, all this stuff is really, you know, pushed through in that first episode. And you leave that first episode saying, wow, I just sounds like a great organization, yeah. which is kind of like how they, they, yeah. they pull you into this organization, how so many organizations pull you in. It's kind of how what we covered, too, when we, we spoke to Spencer and Esther uh, a few months back as well. Yeah. And it's, you know, the reason I'm drilling so hard, too, about about, you know, this process is that it it sets up for what happens next and how what happens next could happen right um and the fact that it it's really something that happens over a really long period of time me saying all of these things and you know right now in quick succession you can be like "Ooh, that sounds like uh sounds like some really manipulative behavior over there but if it's sort of layered and slowly and you're getting some nice things out of it and I don't know, maybe give it another shot and you start to try and maybe you do have some, like you can start to really fall into it and then you don't even realize how desensitized to yourself you've become and how deep you are until, until it's happened. Yeah. I feel like all the, anytime you talk about a cult, we really only spoke about two on the show so far. Um, we, we always kind of get that sense of this can happen to anyone because like it really can. Like so many people are going to speak about uh, over the course of the next few weeks are really smart, a- accomplished, vibrant human beings. You know, they're everyday people, mm-hmm. some of which who have had lots of success in the world. I mean, Christina just mentioned the Dalai Lama met <laughs> with Keith Raniere, yeah. right? Like that's a real person of status in the world yeah. who literally met with Keith um, and like celebrated him. So clearly you know these things are these little almost like micro doses you know kind of start to eventually pile up but Mm -hmm. so hard to see it right on the path yeah and you know i i think one thing to also underscore is that keith manages to get people to move to clifton park so it's not a commune in the sense of a compound with you know a wall around it and whatever but it is a very tight-knit community in really close proximity to each other where again if you want to keep moving up you're probably you're probably moving at some point to Clifton Park or at least being there a lot um again to do volleyball and to basically just be near Keith so that you can pick his brain and get his wisdom and all of that um since he is considered the most enlightened being with the Nexium right um I think that's a good moment to take a pause because when we come back from the break, things are going to get extremely dark. Sure. Uh, We'll be right back with more on Nexium. Back in a second. The New York Mystery Machine is brought to you in part by listeners like you. That's right. Head on over to our Patreon, and for as little as $3 a month, you can help keep the pod growing. By joining, you can access a whole bunch of cool stuff, such as mini-episodes, swag, exclusive playlists, and more. Head to www.patreon.com slash nymysterymachine to find out more and become a patron. That's www.patreon.com slash nymysterymachine and join our ever-growing community today. So we've been talking about Nexium, we've been talking about the ESP and, and all the programs and how they 
set you up to um to be controlled right to to no longer listen to your own intuition and to be controlled as you move further and further up in what is being described as your own personal growth um and so this is the world in which dos emerges dos stands for dominus obsequious sororium now this gets mistranslated in a lot of places as dominant over submissive but it's actually closer to something like master of the obsequious sister in latin it was promoted as a secret society, a sorority of a kind, made for women by women, and was supposedly meant to promote close bonding and a deep commitment to the ideals of Nexium and to your goals. But it was also described as like completely separate from Nexium, nothing to do with it. It's really just about us, but like we're going to be furthering our goals that we've always had through it. Yeah, so much and so much, you know, throughout that process of DOS, um, when people accuse Keith of being involved in it, it was always a very hard no, Keith has no involvement in DOS. Right, exactly. Like, this is completely removed, nothing to do with Keith. Like, this it just is this the ladies doing something for the right. ladies. exactly. Because, like you said, the men already had their society, right. the, the, the protectors. Well, the women also already have Jeunesse. Yeah, So yeah. this is, this is an even, you know, another level Quote that's unquote quote level, unquote yeah. that is completely outside of any of those other companies right um and because it's a secret society to get in you have to be invited and not just invited um so what generally happens is someone you knew says that they are part of this amazing life-changing really affirming group of women dedicated to changing the world and themselves and wouldn't it be great if you could be a part of it but to learn more about it you have to show you're committed um, and to show that you're really trustworthy and aren't just going to go spilling the details to everyone that comes along. So you need to provide collateral. So what counts as collateral? Well, that depends who you're talking to. It might be a recording of a sordid secret you have or a letter, you know, defaming family or friends or nude or suggestive photos. Um, and whatever it is, you, you, when you hand over the collateral, that's when you get to learn more. So here are the, the broad strokes of how DOS worked. You eventually, after giving your collateral, you agree to become part of it. You give more collateral um, that commits you to the group. You become someone's quote-unquote slave, and that someone is your quote-unquote master. Um, but the person recruiting you says it's not really like that. It's just an exercise, and it's a way of learning accountability and reliability. Um, you know, don't think about the terminology too hard. So you make a vow of obedience to your master. And then at different points in the day, your master might text you and just say, question mark. And you have to respond immediately with ready master. And you might eventually get other assignments, right? Like cleaning for your master, getting their coffee or whatever. Um, some people were told you have to lose weight in a certain amount of it. And at various points, you end up providing more and more collateral. Um, because the point of the collateral is that if you're not in this, if you if you break your vow, then your collateral could be released. So it's marketed as a way of keeping you honest, but all it's doing is is blackmailing you, right, into staying with the group. Yeah, I was like, collateral sounds like a very familiar thing. Yeah, I think, it's, I think in in modern terms, you call it blackmail. Call it blackmail. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's extortion. It's, like, it's if blackmail. If you don't it's... do this thing, we're gonna show people your nude photos. Right, but you've been trained for so long, and apparently. Um, Apparently, the idea of collateral had already been introduced in different parts of Nexium in small, smaller ways, maybe. But 
it, which is intentional, right? right? Like the the one thing we learn in this in this whole situation is that everything, and this is goes this is broad strokes over over most cults, but certainly everything that Keith Raniere did was intentional. Like everything yes. that he created and every bit of the curriculum in Nexium was really designed to feed into a next piece of the puzzle, which always led to Keith. Right, exactly. And the other thing to know, and this ties into what we sort of talked about earlier with Keith Raniere, is the idea that this is also modeled after an MLM, right? So it's not enough that you are in the sorority. You are supposed to recruit as well, right? So you are supposed to eventually become a master to your own slaves. And so that process repeats again, where you get collateral from others and and start to um, build your own network of slaves as well. Um, and the other thing to know is that, you know, no one's, you know, when you give your collateral, you are assuming that your collateral is just staying with your master. Well, here's the thing. These are these people's friends. Right. Right. Like that's a thing too. Right. It's, it's, it's one thing, um, committing to someone who you may not know too well, committing to an organization that has like, you know, figure, but these people are friends with people. That's like, it's like literally your one of your closest friends who you've been hanging out with for years now yep. is like, cool, I need you to call me master and also send me a bunch of naked photos right. and confess to hating like your husband and all this stuff and make it your, like all these really terrible, terrible things that your close friend is asking you for. It's literally like, Christina, if you were like, Adam, I need you to like right. <laughs> write a letter about how much you hate your family. Right. And like, don't worry. I'll, and regardless I'll just... of it being true or not, but it's like, yeah, and don't worry. You and and never saying it's never going to be released. It's almost saying that it won't need to be released because you're taking right. this vow. So right. this is this is a non-starter. This is right, exactly. Like you know, we totally trust you. It's just you know to really help make sure you know that you're committed. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um. Yeah. So eventually, your master in this process might suggest that you and your other sister slaves meet up and get a tattoo together. Right. Something that will really mark your commitment to the journey and to each other. And this brings us to some of the people who helped break the story of Nexium. So if you've watched, uh, you know, HBO's documentary, The Vow, or followed Nexium in the news, then the names we're introducing now are going to be very familiar. So there's Mark Vicente, um, an award-winning documentarian. Who has retweeted me many a times. Oh, not many times. When I was watching season one of The Vow, I would like tweet a bunch and then Mark retweeted a couple of Look times. Look at you. Look at you being your, your old friends with Mark. <laughs> he doesn't know who I am. <laughs> Mark doesn't know me. He just retweeted me, which was really great. Um, His wife, Bonnie Piercy. Um, who, who who Star Wars fans may know. Yes. Because she plays Luke's aunt in um, episode three. Right, exactly. And and she comes back in, in I think... One of the more recent ones. The Obi-Wan right? series. Comes, oh, the oh, that's it. The Obi-Wan back. series. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, she's an Australian actress and singer. Um, and I apologize if I said your name wrong. We're so sorry. Uh, then there's Sarah Edmondson, a Canadian actress. Um, and her husband, Anthony Nippy Ames. Um, and and they are these are the four that are really so central to why we know as much about Nexium as we do. Um, so there had been some news coverage of Nexium in varying capacities earlier, um, you know, in its in its lifetime. There was a Forbes article. There was something about the the Bronfman sisters, who are the heiresses of the the Seagram uh, fortune, um, but nothing really as extensive or as 
um, uh, just just so in the, the the minds of everyone as as this would become. And 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 the ironic part about it is Keith's dream was that everyone knew right. about Nexium like that. His dream, and you know, so much we're going to cover next week as well. So much of what the the information and the 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 records of everything that we have were all made because Keith wanted living records of yes. everything that he did because he really believed he was this this great guru and pioneer and that people will want to know about how this organization began and and how everything all of his teachings were spread. So for for us today it benefits us because we were able to to learn so much from this right. and see all the wrongdoing but for for Keith and members of this organization all their meetings were video recorded all of their private meetings were video recorded and like time stamped right like you would stamped. you would say you know Christina Marinelli taking a walk with Adam Mace uh you know Brooklyn at uh 2 p.m yeah, on yeah. Friday the what you know like it it was clearly marked. So, you know, after all these years of storing all this information, because in part, Mark is Mark is this amazing documentarian, right? Yeah. Keith wants Mark to document, not just so that people will know about Nexium, but also so that in, in Keith's own imagining that they could parry some of the... Um, the the accusations that get made against Nexium over time, right? They can point to, but no, look, we have all this wonderful footage and and recordings that show exactly what we're trying to do, which is so wonderful. Yeah. Um. So these four, uh, these four were in Nexium for varying lengths of time. Um, Mark and Sarah were, you know, became friends, and actually, it's Mark who introduced Sarah to Nexium. Um, and they opened a center together in Vancouver and ended up becoming um, extremely high in the ranks of Nexium. Now, it was Bonnie who left first. Um, she trusted her gut that things that she was seeing and hearing about what was going on from others within Nexium and about Keith were, were not good. And at first, Mark had trouble accepting this, in particular because he was so close to Keith, right? He'd been the group's documentarian for so long. He had, like, daily meetings with Keith for years. Um, so Bonnie eventually told Mark that she heard some women in the group had been branded. And Mark eventually spoke to one of the women who told Bonnie as much, and Mark realized that Bonnie was right and that they could, you know, it was time to get out. They could not stay. This was, this went against everything that one they believed was okay and two that they had been told Nexium stood for. Mm. Uh, you know, especially because to many people, and you had mentioned it earlier, and I, I, I recall an interview with Sarah, um, she had said when she first was introduced to the group, you know, Mark called it a group of human humanitarians. Right. Um, and so hearing that people are getting branded is yeah. very opposite from a group of humanitarians. Exactly. Um, so Mark eventually calls Sarah, right? Because they're business partners. They have this center together in Vancouver. And eventually Sarah sort of asks to like, if Mark is recording, which of course he is, it's sort of been like trained at this point to record everything. Could he stop for a minute? And off off recording, um, I believe it's when Sarah says, yes, she had been branded as well. And, and I think also before that too, though, mm -hmm. um, not to kind of no, ju jump a, a, around, it's important to know at this point too. So there was also a paranoia about all mm -hmm. these people because oh, yeah. they also didn't know at this point who knew what and who they could trust. And who's going to go tell Keith? 
Yeah. So much that, you know, Mark asks Sarah to sign NDA before, yeah. you know, which protects him and certainly but like even these these close friends, co-workers, co-founders of this mm-hmm. of this place in Vancouver, the center of Vancouver, there's still an unease between them Absolutely. Um, just because they don't know who, especially at this point, because it's starting to slowly, you know, creep, creep out. Yeah. Um, and and something too to keep in mind is that there have been people who have left Nexium over the years and have made accusations not of of this in particular like of general accusations of abuse of power, and they have been slammed with uh, lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit. And this is common knowledge. And it was always portrayed as well, you know, it's so that you know for the good of the group we can't let you know this go unchecked because it's going to ruin it for all of us. And they're suppressives and they just don't get it. So if you're going to start talking shit about what's going on and you talk to the wrong person, you may end up with the same sort of lawsuit. And there's that that fear. Yeah, it's important to note that financially backing a lot of Nexium was Claire Brothman, head of the the Seagram, you know, the heir to the Seagram's fortune. And they came up strapped with lawyers, really good ones, too. Yeah. So... According to Sarah, this is what she tells tells Mark, her master, uh, Lauren Saltzman, the daughter of prefect Nancy Saltzman and Sarah's best friend. Um, you know, Lauren is someone who officiated uh, Sarah and Nippy's wedding, you know, godparent to their kid, like really close. Lauren Saltzman is the one who invited Sarah and the other sister slaves under Lauren to get tattoos together. When they arrived at an undisclosed dislo- uh, undisclosed location, they were told to undress, and then they were brought to a to you know to a room where there's a table, and they were told to lay down on the table and say, "Master, please brand me. It would be an honor." And at that point, the other women would help hold down the woman on the table, and another person in the group. Um, would use a cauterizing device to brand a two-inch symbol into the area around the pubic bone below the hip. And that's a process that took at least 30-ish minutes per woman, which is 30 minutes of excruciating pain. Um, And in the New York Times article that would break the story, spoiler alert, Sarah is quoted as saying, quote, I wept the whole time. I disassociated out of my body, unquote. Now, if at this point you're wondering why would anyone let somebody do that to you, remember, this is coming after years or decades of being told anything you do or feel is really something you've done to yourself and you're a cause. If you're a woman, you've been told you are unreliable, selfish, self-indulgent, unable to commit to anything or be trusted or have follow through. And if you were to speak up, you would be met with those EM questions meant to make you believe that you were being weak and suppressive and holding yourself back. And at the same time, someone you know and and trust and to whom you've taken a vow of obedience has collateral on you if you don't cooperate and on top of that you've been brought to a location secretly and you're not even entirely sure where you are right sarah would eventually say that she was aware she was at um allison mack the the actress of smallville fame um she she could tell she was at ally mack's house i think because of certain smells and like the carpeting or something like and that. And she like poked her eyes out when she Yeah, was... she she looked underneath the blindfold yeah. when she wasn't supposed to like just a sort of get a smart yep. smart woman. And like got a sense of where she was, but like you know, she was still brought there without her like where Nippy has no idea where she is, right? Yeah. Like there there are so many factors of you are really alone in this situation 
with a lot going against you if you try to say no to this. Um, so really, what choice do you even have, right? So Sarah eventually showed the brand to one of her slaves who pointed out that the brand, which had been one initially described as a tattoo, which a brand is not a tattoo, right? <laughs> um, and two, um, had been described as like the symbols for the elements. It was actually a com like a combined monogram for Allison Mack and Keith Raniere. So Sarah eventually shows Nippy. Nippy is enraged that the group would do this, understandably. And so together they along with Mark and Bonnie make a plan to leave the group. And it's it's really fascinating to watch because there's a lot of planning that goes into it, a lot of trying to extricate yourself without at first without like making too much of a fuss and making it about, you know, oh, I'm doing this for me or oh, it's, you know, just you know, because of fa- or family or like I'm, you know, not really letting on that it's it's the group because again you want to avoid these lawsuits you want to avoid being pulled back in you want you know you want to just get as far away as possible almost as quietly as possible so people will leave you alone yeah um so sarah nippy along with mark and bonnie end up working closely with Catherine oxenberg uh the actress of dynasty fame to try to get Catherine's daughter india out of dos and out of nexium And in the process, they realized that the best way to protect themselves from the defamation lawsuits filed by Keith and Nexium, as well as to try to get out as many people out as possible, would be to break the story to the media. So in 2017, the New York Times finally breaks the story. um, And soon the coverage was picked up by numerous other outlets. Um, And the couple things here, one is that it took the Times, even after contacting them and bringing them all this information, it took them a while to finally publish it. And really what gets it finally published in the end is really it riding the coattails in some ways of the me too movement right mm. because that breaks and then this gets published and it's it's sort of contextualized within that whereas you know there's some speculation that if this had happened at another time or me too hadn't been you know so, you know a, a movement a movement and a hashtag and all those things that happened would this have really gotten the attention it deserved because the times was sitting on the story sort of saying like it's evergreen there are other things happening in the world and this will yeah. always be of interest but it doesn't have to happen right now mm-hmm. um so as we said because mark and with mark's help many others have been documenting nexium for years and years and years and years um, and because Mark and Bonnie and Sarah Nippy had all of the curricula from Nexium, right, and other documents from their time within the group, they were eventually able to present a very large, very holistic load of evidence to the Attorney General of New York. And in 2019, a warrant was issued for the arrest of Keith Ranieri, who had fled to Mexico when he began to feel the proverbial noose tightening around his neck. And he was located, arrested, and extradited back to the U.S. for trial. And that's where we pick up with you, Adam. Yeah, I mean, this whole, you know, the, the, the this whole first chapter of Nexium is, is so just profoundly painful mm-hmm. um, and just goes back to what we spoke about, you know, for for in, in other cults you've mentioned on the show. It's just it comes down to just the amount of manipulation that people are put under and the amount of stress they're put under mm-hmm. and the sheer amount of bravery um, it takes to to be the person to break the cycle. Yeah. You know, had Bonnie not been the first one to to leave, had Sarah not had the the courage and the fortitude to not only go to the New York Times, but 
show her brand right. in the New York Times. The October 17th, 2017 New York Times article has her brand in the newspaper, yeah. which is the New York Times most widely spread newspaper in the entire world. Right. Um, the courage and the fortitude. And then, you know, people like Nippy who like immediately was like, nope, nope, mm-hmm. nope. Mm-hmm. You know, who 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 has his own place in the organization? Right. Yet- High up too. He's he's again one of like the the I think board members for for the uh, Society of Protectors. Yeah. But yet the minute like, yeah. you know, Sarah said something, you know, th- there's this there's this moment in, in, in season one of the vow. It's so like heartbreaking where he's there's a recording of him, uh, um, you know, speaking to I believe it's Lauren leaving a message for Lauren. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I, why are you fucking branding my wife yeah. like this? Really, this like this lion that like erupts mm-hmm. from him is just really powerful. And um, more and more, we, we've learned more about just how how toxic Nexium was um, and how basically all the teachings of Nexium mm-hmm. were kind of just all sourced to manipulate to get to the next level. Yeah, and we'll, we'll see that it's a long game, right? This is all a long game, long game. for for DOS, and and um, and we'll we'll talk more about that next week. But I think to to this point, I think the brand the the branding is really crucial because this becomes in some ways the the key evidence that something real bad has happened, right? Because that's something that you can you 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 can you can't say it's taken out of context in the way that someone might be able to say, oh, well, you're taking the curriculum out of context. Yeah. When someone is told you're getting a tattoo and it ends up being a brand, that's very different, right? That's that's taking away their agency to say no to something. They didn't agree to that. Um, it's a form of torture, right? Yeah. No anesthetic. No, like this is a form of torture. Yeah. You know, and... and- you listen to to testimonies by um, people like Nancy Salzman, who was like, "I it's hard." She was it was hard for her to understand and to to listen to people call a sex cult, because on her end, you know, the truth that she's sharing, whether or not we're saying mm-hmm. this is absolute truth or not, is that you know. We have hundreds of thousands of people who have taken these courses mm-hmm. who have not reported any of this stuff. Right. There's people who are taking it from all over the country, actors, um, leaders, all sorts of people mm-hmm. who are taking Nexium curriculum, ESP curriculum, and, and weren't anywhere near, near that. Um, and it's the hard truth of it all was you, you need a credible organization to hide stuff under. Right. You know, how do you... People aren't going to just join a sex cult, right? I mean, right. Th- I mean, some may, but for the most part, that idea of having to um, create something in order to like house that, um, creating principles that could be used in different—it's like so many organizations, right? It's like I was a Boy Scout, I, I mm-hmm. you know, I'm an Eagle Scout, and everything we learned in Boy Scouting led to the next thing, which led into life. Right. Like they were life lessons that we learned through little things like right. building fires and cooking meals. You know? Right. We learn skills that we lose in life. It's that same mentality that like Nexium is, is trying to teach you things for life. However, mm-hmm. in this duality, um, Nexium is teaching you things that will be useful to Keith later. Right. And um, one thing I just want to highlight too is that, you know, you said the term sex cult and we haven't used that as much this episode. It'll become abundantly clear why next episode. Um, but even if, quote unquote, all there was to the story was this branding there is a psychosexual aspect to it right again it's right above or right below rather the pubic bone on these women and it's keith's initials 
And also, too, something that Christina didn't mention in, in, in watching all these clips that, from these recorded sessions, a very common thing, too, mm. in Nexium mm-hmm. was that you kiss people on the lips. Mm-hmm. Like, everybody yeah. kisses on the lips. With, you know, which I don't know any other place where that's just common practice. Um, I think kissing on the lips is a very intimate practice. And um, certainly not in... in- our society, right? Put yeah. it that way. Like at the very least, within our society, that's not and certainly not something a you, greeting. And certainly something you wouldn't do in a professional development right. situation. Right. Which is what Nexium cleanse you know, tries to pretend to be, like a development. Um and so yeah, and I will say, you know, one last thing which kind of will, will lead us into next week's conversation. It is insane the amount of adoration that this man has had. Yeah. Still has to today. Right, yeah. by some people. Um, if you've ever seen Keith Raniere, he's not a a very charming looking human being. <laughs> he there's nothing about him physically that will will, will inspire you. Um, there's nothing about his voice when he speaks that will inspire you. But the things that he said, the things that he did, found ways to both motivate and manipulate people. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so next week we're gonna take a dive. I'm gonna pick up the story right where Christina left off at the arrest of Keith and we're going to learn a lot more um, twisted narrative that that took place within the confines of Clifford Park, New York. Um, as always, you want to learn more, head on over to our socials. We'll be posting about this all week for the next few weeks at, at, at NY Mystery Machine on the Instagram and Facebook and TikTok at NY Mysteries on Twitter. Uh, please like, subscribe, rate, and review Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we are back all new next week for our second part of this show. I've been Adam Mace. I've been Christine Marinelli. And thanks for taking a ride on New York Mystery Machine. Tammy Hall, but for ghosts. <laughs>